Hey, listeners, welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marsha Epstein in what is a slightly ice-covered Lawrence, Kansas area. Kind of weird. On the 21st of February of 2018, we had what some of us called thunder sleet and more to come. Serious thunder, which happens in the Midwest. But instead of rain, it was frozen crap. And so it's interesting around here these days. I am delighted to do this show today. I, I always love the connections. Like, so how did people get connected to talk with me? And this one comes kind of meanderingly, I will say, where the starting point would be my dear friend Wolfgang Karstens of Epic Rights Press, way up in Alberta, Canada. And one of the people who he had worked with at some point and some of the poets that Wolfgang works with and publishes, uh, some of them have also crossed paths with Lemmox Press. And I think it was probably last spring I bought this book from Lemmox Press from somebody who I really love, who is Bill Gaynor. And so there's a Bill Gaynor nudge in here. Bill Gaynor is awesome if you don't know his work. Find it, check it out. And I will say Bill and Wolfgang are two of the poets coming from far, not just near, in October of 2018 for the Kansas City Fountain Verse Small Press and Poetry Fest. Going to be awesome. Mid-October, the 12th through 14th, you can find Fountain Verse on Facebook. And then if you can, come to Kansas City for an awesome weekend. Um, anyway. So I'm meandering, and the path between me and this guest is kind of meandering. And so we're going to head up to upstate New York, where this person is, and I get to welcome Alex Johnston. Hey, Alex. Hi, Hi how are you? I am good. Kind of cold. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's so weird that you, that you said that. Um, I've, never, I've never been to, to Kansas before, but in uh-huh. New York right now, it's 70 degrees. This is so weird. What's going it's on? It's so weird. And I'll tell you, it's 70 degrees right now. By the end of this podcast, it may very well be uh, 30 or 20 degrees yeah. and snowing. Yeah. 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 I live in the, uh, in the Finger Lakes region, and our weather is subject to change, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. I'm not a big fan of icy stuff. We literally couldn't get into our car because the ice was so thick on it. Oh, yeah. That was last week. Yeah, sure. Getting the the cups of dog food that we still have left in the bag. (laughs) (laughs) Is the ice going to thaw before the dog starves? Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. I guess I'll start at the beginning. Um, but yeah, I'm from the, the Finger Lakes region of, of upstate New York. I live about maybe 30 miles. Oh, somebody will shoot me if they hear me say this, if I say the wrong direction. But I, I think I live about 30 miles west of Syracuse. That that must be right. Just don't um, name your city right. and it's all good, because then they won't know if you're wrong. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, I live in a, in a, in a smaller city, um, and I, I'm kind of right in the middle of Rochester and Syracuse, so I'm, I'm close to the artistic hubs on both ends. The, the, the city right. that I live um, is emerging itself is, is much more uh, artistic. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, it has a focus on the humanities, I guess you could say. Um, but let me think now. So 
who am I? See, now that's really a, a metaphysical question that we can do another show about, huh? Yeah, but, um, but just yeah, tell, right. tantalize <laughs> us with a few tidbits, random this and that. I can do that. So yeah. I, yeah, I, I uh, grew up um, when I was about uh, when I was about thirteen or twelve or so. I saw a movie with the violin. So the first half of my life is about the violin because I wanted to learn how to play right right away. Wow. So I, um, I, as a teenager, I trained as a professional violinist at the Hochstein School of Music. Um, and then I went on to teach and I played in orchestras and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I always sort of had a propensity uh, for, for literature, um, mm-hmm. but that was never really honed until college. I, I had a very unsuccessful first attempt at college in 2007 uh, after dropping out of high school and uh, got caught up in the party scene and all that kind of thing. And um, I ended up dropping out of college after a number of failed terms. I was dating a girl in must have been 2015 who said, you know, you should probably go back to school now. And I said, yes, I, <laughs> I think that my, my lunch break has been long enough. And she, uh, she kind of kicked me in the butt and said, all right, let's go, buddy. Um, and I took a, I took Supportive way or was this in a supportive way or was this like get away from me, go to school instead? <laughs> <laughs> Both are viable. Uh, it was more supportive. It was more supportive. She was going back. I hadn't. I hadn't even had my GED yet. I was 25. Uh-huh. Hadn't gotten my GED. So and she said, "Well, I'm going to get mine, and, and you'll get yours too." And I said, "Yes, dear." And and we did that. Um, well, she was right, you know. And I wanted. I wanted to protest. I wanted to, you know, put up a fight. But I, I knew that, that she was right. Um, which I saved grudgingly. Um, but I took a, a creative writing course at the local community college here, Cayuga Community College is where I went. Um, I just took a, a creative writing 101. It was very, uh, you know, very boilerplate stuff here. You know, we're looking at the red wheelbarrow and, and I just, I couldn't believe it. I, I'd never been, I, I'd always kind of liked poetry and that kind of thing, but I'd never studied it um, academically. And I was probably 15 minutes into that first class, and that was all she wrote. I, I had an epiphany sitting in that class. I said, this is what I need to do for the rest of my life. I want to learn poetry, write poetry, teach poetry, and, and that's that. And I've devoted my my time and effort and passion to that ever since. That was about three years ago. Um, uh-huh. and, and here we are Here we are now, and I've got my first book in my hand, and I'm very happy about that. And Women Press did a, a wonderful job. You said you got your first book in your hand. I, I don't think you mean you've got your first book in your hand. I think you mean you've got your first published book of your poetry in your hand. Am I right? That's correct. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I am literate. I, I've been exposed <laughs> to books before today. <laughs> but yes, the, I have the first copy of, the, of a book that I authored in my hand currently. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> I'm a smart Alex. Sorry, it just comes naturally. Um, so oh, we can do that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, what it is, it's sort of. I have a stone book. etching of the Old Testament in my hand. It's the first book. <laughs> All right, now you're on yeah. my path, man. I like it. I was going to say my my brain goes in in unique ways the meanings that I make of words, which is part of why I love contemporary poetry. That's that's of that kind of. Lots packed into a few words. I'm, I, um, I do that too. I always like to find multiple ways in which to say things. Or, and I do that, like you said, I, you uh, have a, a unique way of, of hearing things. I do the same thing. I got a text message yesterday, and it said, um, I've, recovered, I've recovered the stools. 
And I said, did that mean that you found missing dog poop? Right. And it was, it was a picture of someone who had reupholstered chairs. Right. 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 You know, <laughs> found it. <laughs> See, and I was thinking, nobody, that you nobody panicked. Recovered could also mean like, you know how the dog, my dog doesn't do this, but some dogs kind of scratch up, they scratch up the ground and, and grass and stuff to cover their poop. Well, you recovered it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, it just wasn't covered enough, so I went ahead and put a little gravel over that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to let that slow cook. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> so you did not yet mention the name of your book. The title of my agree. yeah, the title of my book is On Fire and Roses, mm -hmm. um, and it is maybe the, the, the fourth or fifth title that I consider very serious title. Sorry about double title changing, but what I ended up with On Fire and Roses, okay. and that serves um, a number of different meanings. Uh, there's a lot of metaphor with that title. That's it's reflecting the book. Uh -huh. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, I just. Kind of half choked up a bit. Oh. Is but, there a poem from that book that you would like to share at this moment? To give us just a sense of some of the meanings of On Fire and Roses? I would. Yeah, cool. Um, let me think. Um, there are only two colors that are used in the writing of the book the colors red and pink. It used to be called red and still pink. Um, and I thought that On Fire and Roses. Um, was a more poetically charged way to say from Red until Pink, right? And mm -hmm. it's also an allusion to T.S. Eliot. Um, uh, little kidding, he's the final line of his poem. Um, the crown not a fire and the fire and the rose are one. But I also look at it because uh, the book itself, rather, is, is sort of a metaphor for a healing wound. Um, if you can consider what uh, what an open wound might look like, how how it can bleed red and then heals to a to a pink scar. That was kind of uh, the book progresses that way, and the poems can be read um, in the bathroom, and you open it up and just read something from it. But but it can be read it can be read in order as well. Going back, but they to can you, also be read in order. Yeah. <laughs> No, when they're read in when they're read in order, there, there's a certain evolution of of, of the poetry where where it goes from uh, themes of of addiction and and um, poems that are more sinister in nature to to healing over and growing into something uh, maybe a little more profound, maybe a little more mature, um, sort of serving as that that pink healed scar. Um, and the book is also something of a dichotomy with itself in that. Um, it, it, it's half order and half chaos, um, fire being chaos and roses being order. Um, that the, the, the duality has always interests me, um, mm -hmm. in that sense, at least. I'm um, having a striking a balance between order and chaos. Anyway, I'll do this all day. Um, I'll just blah, 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 blah. So if you need to cut, if you need to cut me off and, and say, please, oh my God, you have to stop, just read, then I can, I can do that too. My head has completed at least one rotation around my neck. So, yeah, it'd be good to hear a poem. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. Um, so I'll, 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 I'll pick something that, that has something to do with the title. <laughs> anyway, this is a poem called uh, Stranger Fire. 
and I can't find it. Wait, 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 wait. Don't give up on me. Anyway. Stranger Fire. She was falling in love with crab apples. And two of these fell with these that landed on every side of us until she screamed, please, let me on your shoulders. You can bend your knees so I can climb up. All these inedible apples, dust in our pockets, under tables, holding hands, overflowing the bathroom sink. Good how tonight we're here together. Your mother throws another pillow as she smiles behind her messy hair. It says, maybe one more and then another. As roses burst into our home, their petals reach to stranger fire. There you have it. Cool. Tell me about that phrase, stranger fire. About what? That phrase, stranger fire. It used to be called stranger houses. And it was, um, I, I thought that that was a little too cliche to like say that each poem is its own house. I didn't want to do that. But stranger fire is, let's say, stranger chaos, right? So all of my poems in this book are autobiographical. So that is a true story. And it's, uh, well, I, I won't give it all away. But um, I, I have a friend and we would go to these different uh, houses for any particular reason. And they were strange to us, but familiar to other people. And that's where the stranger comes from. Um, I, I try to be as abstract as possible without frustrating my reader. So that's kind of how the, the, the poem developed. And Stranger Fire is this chaos, this new, um, this new illumination that is stranger, right? That, that's new. And it serves that double meaning, but for taking place in something of a, of a stranger place, of a, uh-huh. of a, of a, of a foreign place or something to that effect. Yeah. Um, I'll keep going then if you, if you care, if you, if you like. How about one more right now? And then we'll do some more talking and then we'll come sure. back for more poetry. Cool. This one is a bit longer. That's all right. I'm not sure. Yes, it is. Fine. Okay. Well, this is called Elysium. Um, Elysium. I am come from dream to wandering dream, which emulates the womb, walking across animations. They weave through history on the earth before returning to the universe. Awake was the toothbrushing mirror stare, checking red eyes, hairline, and facial hair. I was tattooed in the living room of a football game while restaurants, friends smoked pot, half yelling at the television. I wanted to travel to Spain. I told anyone who would listen. I wanted to go to the southern mountains where I could fill my pockets with dirt and smuggle it home. I have kept it on a bookshelf next to artifacts of my exes. She came to the mountains I met and left her there. For three nights, we stumbled through secret kisses between silent trees. In the afternoon, I would read until I fell asleep, and I wondered what would it be like to be drowning and then be saved. In the water, I float supine. They had families just like mine, where now some tired dead man stands, empty heart, empty hands. I read about the camps. Our families like mine were lying for the sake of it. Chemists and carpenters, social workers, police officers, and new cotton gloves destroyed in an instant. I know a love story. A dead man who discovered a woman in the back room of an art house, who went forward through the snow, jobless and snow-blinded in the wind, driven by art until new jobs came, with like-minded, rough-handed, twice-divorced scoundrels. Somewhere in the winter, he met his next evolution in life, molded itself into the holy ramblings that mimicked the pages of human experience, but were never acted out. 
this part is all true, flush with expression. He was English uprising. He was hard rock, drunk actor, hometown, rebel in the microphone. In words you didn't hear, he sang thoughts of woodwork with 5 a.m. coffee on Colorado rooftops. He had a fear so bad of the doctor that it killed him, age 52, on his day off. He was occasional sunglasses. He was ice beer, heart disease father, first father, first of two. They called him fuck you. He was fuck you too. There was a small concert at night. Everyone was in two cars, which took us right to the stage where we plugged in. Even the violin made an appearance. New tattoos were drying and dying on the floor. When I got home after last call, after good night, sweet ladies, I gouged my finger on broken glass and saved it in the freezer. Didn't feel a thing. And in my dream, she came in fragments of smiles and yeses until I came to an unrelated end, which I remember clearly. I was an Andalusian mountain rebel and peeked up at him from the guitar, no longer neutral. The room filled with smoke and leather. The Tommies found me mostly drunk. He kicked his head back and sang like it was stumbling through the logger. The last time anyone would hear a punk as we dug our missing fingers through mountains of hair, mountains of teeth. Through alcohol and amplifiers, Elysian dreams were speaking to me. You, who liked my words, ancient words, my voice in the mouth of an open wound, one which would heal you from red until pink, from boy, from come to the window and see these birds on the water, these aurochs on the water, their immortal bellies filled with fire and roses. That's that. Wow. And when I listen, I then have to go into my my plug, which is, you know, when when we hear a poem like this, whether it's at a reading with the poet at the mic, or in this case on the podcast, we catch, I catch, I'll just speak from my own listener experience, I catch little pieces and my mind wants to play with those. And so... It's a perfect reminder of how great it is when you actually have that book and you can go back to it. Yeah. You can go back to it. You can go slowly through the meaning and still, in this case, with me as, the, as this listener, I will hear it in your voice as I remember your voice. But I will have that time to, to kind of savor and make meaning of bits and pieces and then of the whole and so as I say this, you know, again, I'm, I'm describing what it's like for me and I'm not representative of everybody who's listening, but, but I, I give that reminder to listeners that buying books of poetry, buying art from artists who you've seen, and that may be just buying a small piece, even a card, you know, that has been made with a reproduction of somebody's art. But actually spending some money on art is one of those ways that we have to that from from having that or giving that as a gift and also supporting art you know i'm i'm a believer in all kinds of ways that we show it's really important to us by how we spend our time and our money you know and so for those listeners who are tempted to only read what you can find free online, I'm pushing you to, to start buying some books, man. When you go to a reading and get to buy a book and get it signed by that person, that's awesome. 
You know, when you when you buy from the press, and in, in the case of this book that we're talking about, On Fire and Roses, by poet Alex Johnston, this book was published by Lum Express. Go to the Lum Express website and buy the book there. If for some reason that doesn't work for you, then go to your local independent bookstore. You know, mine in Lawrence, Kansas is Raven Bookstore. It's this amazing place full of magic. And they, of course, sponsor readings there that are free. You know, they they carry the work of local and regional and other writers. You know, they emphasize poetry. I want that business to be around. And the way I keep that business around is I spend some money there. So long plug to say, buy the books, folks. It's great. Poet John Riamras, who you must experience if you haven't already. John is this wonderful person, writer, and has this promise to himself and others. He buys a freaking poetry book every week, 52 books of poetry every year. That doesn't mean poetry books that cost, you know, 50 bucks with the deluxe bound, you know, poetry with photographs and paintings reproduced, blah, blah, blah. You know, it might be a $7 chapbook, whatever. But that's one of his commitments as a as a poet is also to encourage other people's works by actually buying their books. So anyway, that was a long thing, but it's it's obviously important to me because I want art to continue to exist. I don't know where this world is headed, but I want art to continue to exist because I really believe it improves the quality of our lives, that it brings people together, particularly people who are vulnerable and marginalized in other ways. Man, there are times when you're going to hear somebody's poem and you go, wow, that is me. That is my experience. I thought it was me and shameful and me alone, and it's not. And that is a huge relief. So Well said. <laughs> thank you. It's, what I, it's so what I believe. So I want to use that. I wasn't planning on it when I started that monologue. But so, so <laughs> what, what is your poetry about for you? Like you said, you know, you started with this when you went into this class and you got exposed to poetry and you knew it was for you, what, what did you, how did you know? How did you know poetry was your thing? Well, you know, I've, I've always had a draw to the art. Um, and it started, I think with the violin, uh, and, and so on and so on. Um, I've always known that I have something that I've wanted to say. Um, and when I discovered poetry, it kind of clicked that this is the medium and how I'll be able to say it. Poetry just kind of made sense to me, how it works, what makes a successful poem. I am interested in the technicalities behind poetry, but not, not to the extent where I want it to affect my writing. Uh-huh. So I try to strike this balance where I can study poetry formally, um, how, it, how it works and, and the different elements that go into to writing a successful poem and those kind of things. But I want to try, how do I say it, to... To, to, to tamper that, you know, I don't, I don't want to get carried away and then I'm, I'm well, this isn't structured appropriately, you know, according to Oxford or something. I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too carried away. But when I started writing poetry, it was not good. And I was okay with that. Uh-huh. Um, I'll set a poem aside for a day or for a month and then revisit it, which I kind of hate because I'm sort of all instant gratification. So I, I want to like write a, a book a day and publish, you know, two a month, but that's, that's not going, that's not going to happen. So I, I kind of have to bite the bullet and say, this, this sucks. 
and it's okay that it sucks because when you sit down to write, and I hope that anybody listening that writes, uh, I'm sure will appreciate this. When you sit down to write, you're not sitting down to write the next great American novel. You're going, most times, you're going to sit down and write crap. And it's when you go back to play around with it and to read it back to yourself and to add new ideas that you thought of, you know, while you were driving home from buying cigarettes or something that you can add to it and make it better and you make it better. And then you have to realize when it's as good as it's going to be, because if you continue to work on it from there, you're going to make it worse again. You get right to the top. Oh, the needle's right in the center. And then if you go either way with it, you start to kind of worsen it. So I always try to Uh find that, that, that balance between finished and, uh, and crap, which is not always <laughs> easy, which is not always easy to do. Um, but when I, but to answer your question more directly, um, when I discovered poetry, or more importantly, how to write it, I knew that that was the medium for me and how to properly express what it is that I think that I had to say. So you you keep saying you knew it was the right genre for you, the the right kind of expression, and. Mm-hmm what you had said previously about violin was it was sounded like it was the same kind of thing that you experienced this movie and realized that violin needed to be part of your life and how you express yourself. Can, can you say anything more specific about poetry? Like what, in what is it about poetry as opposed I think it's the, go ahead. Well, I was going to say as opposed to other genres, short stories or, you know, whatever it might be. Well, I, uh, <laughs> to be blunt, I can write poetry and I can't write fiction to save my life. I'd like to write nonfiction. I think that, w- I think that would be pretty cool because I'm a big fan of, um, uh, let's say, cultural studies. And I'm a big fan of research and politics and those kind of things. So I would like to try my hand at nonfiction, but I, I wouldn't have the first clue how to go about it. So poetry, just the, the economical aspect of it um, really appealed to me, how you can say enormous you can send enormous messages with such uh, a, a limited amount of words uh-huh. um, that always resonated really well with me um, th- th- it started with my exposure to different poets poets like Charles Simic or T.S. Eliot um, Sylvia Plath these are some of my favorites and I said oh my god I, I read a poem by Charles Simic and it's about these two co-hangers and, and, and in, it must have been a four or five line poem and he turns the two coat hangers into these uh, two old gossiping Italian women clicking uh-huh. their tongues, right? And I said, that is freaking brilliant. Yeah. And the language that's being used in successful poetry is not extravagant. It's very simple. So how are these people ordering these words in such a specific way to send such a powerful message? Mm-hmm. And that has, that has fascinated me. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever want to mimic another poet, but trying to emulate that um, has been very important to me. How um, how to condense something bigger, you know, into something so small. Mm-hmm. And I say this, of course, I just write you a four-page poem, but <laughs> <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So you are this person who earlier you said at the age of 25 had not yet completed high school or GED. And right. now you're this person who has published your first book of poetry. And you had sh- shared with me that you're in a doctoral program in, in Western literature. Not quite yet. I'm in my okay. last term. I'm in my last term of my bachelor's degree. I'm okay. 29 now. 
Okay. Um, and I think I must have been, I must have been 25, I think, when I went back uh-huh. to school. Um, and I, I transferred to a different school. I go to Empire State College now um, for my, my bachelor's. And my bachelor's is in cultural studies with a concentration in Western literature. And I'll finish in May. And then from there, yes, I'll start my doctoral program. And it looks like I'll start at Syracuse University, um, although I have been kind of grad school shopping uh, uh-huh. recently. But, it, but things seem to be looking up uh, for the beginning at the Syracuse, uh, at Syracuse University. They have a really established writing program. And I have a, I have a friend who was a formal, former uh, alumni and professor there. And uh-huh. if she puts in a good word, then whew, we should uh-huh. be all set. Uh-huh. So how, I mean, you you said that you had a girlfriend who said, dude, it's time to do this education thing. But how how did you make that transition from somebody who had whatever going on that resulted in not having completed high school or a GED until 25 and then have the aspiration now that you you want to get this doctorate? Well, I'll tell you, um, when, let's, Let's think. I suppose when I was about 18, I got real ensconced in, in drugs and alcohol. And that lasted until, well, probably a little earlier than that, let's say 17. Um, that lasted until about 21 or so, or 22, I guess. And I, I got very sick all of a sudden. Um, literally and psychologically, I got very sick. And I was uh, very uh, appropriately diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, which I still deal with on a very, very daily basis. Um, so all the drugs and alcohol, they stopped overnight, right away. And I think some good things happened because of that, and some bad things happened. Um, when I say bad, I mean these problems, maybe these psychological issues that I had had, were no longer being masked over right, right. by the regular party and, and that kind of thing. So now I've got all these demons kind of rising to the surface and that, uh, I assure you, freaked me right the hell out. So yeah. I shut myself away in the house and I, and unfortunately, and, and I know that this is rare for a, for a male, but I developed an eating disorder and I lost um, maybe 110 pounds or so in a very short period of time, in less than a year. Um, so that took a, a big physical toll on me. So now we're 22, we're 23, we're 24, I'm 25, you see where I'm going with this, and nothing is happening and nothing is happening. And then, I, yes, I, I, I dated this girl, and, and she, actually, she actually lives down the street from me right now with her, with her boyfriend, and she's lovely and they're happy, and he's a good guy and good for them. But she, she was always very ambitious, and she said, okay, let's go. You, you, can't, you can't do this, dude. You're too, you're too smart, blah, blah, blah. Um, you got to go back to school. And I said, okay. Let's do it. So to break the monotony and the fear of the outside world, because I did not do much for a long time. I, I worked as I was able to, and, and that kind of thing, and self-educate myself, you know, with 3 a.m. Uh, YouTube university courses, right? So um, I was, uh, I, I had been starved, uh, literally and metaphorically of education um, and that kind of thing. And, and when I went back to school, it was absolutely where I belonged. So I tried not to look at it from a sense of wasted time so much as, well, you're here now, so let's, let's make the best of this, right? And I'm still relatively young. You know, you know uh, I'm 29 now, like I said. And, and when I 
my, in my first term at CCC, I spearheaded um, the school's first literary magazine. And this is That's having no, yeah, I, and I had no experience with anything like that in publication. And really, I had no experience in poetry or literature or anything. But I got so uh, immersed in, in this in this lifestyle, this new kind of culture of, of the arts and um, poetic expression. And, and there were, of course, there were other uh, writers there and artists there, and they're writing short stories and fiction and flash fiction and, and doing paintings and whatnot. And I, I couldn't get enough of it. So yeah, I, I spoke with the professor of that creative writing class and joined the creative writing club. And then I, yeah, I was very fortunate to spearhead that project and I edited it and helped oversee its publishing and stuff. And we, and it still runs, this was three years ago and they publish it once a semester and it's still, it's still cool. in print. Yeah. I was, I was, I was pleased about that. And it looks good on my, curricula vista so i got to send that to empire and, and you know that, that I, I was i was very proud of that yeah it's but uh, my, my end game here is to teach that's what i want to do i want to be a, a tenured professor somewhere and and expose others to what i was exposed to with poetry and i suppose that my book is is sort of an homage to that um mm -hmm. this is just maybe the first baby step in doing that i had something to say and i wanted to reluctantly share it because as it turns out, I'm an impressively nervous person. Um, so, oh, here's my baby. You know, please read it and, and love it. And if you don't, then you're dumb. So I don't really feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> I made half of that up. Um, so that, that's my first attempt of exposing other people to poetry who may not have otherwise been exposed to it. I certainly had never been. And then when I was, I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I, it was like the first time I heard David Bowie, which blew my freaking mind. Um, and poetry was the same thing. And on and on it goes, you know. It's anyway. amazing. <laughs> well, and, and I'm not asking you to share all your all your deepest, darkest secrets. But but as I listen to you from my perspective of the, the world that I live in, which which I do say is at the intersection of art and mental health. I mean, I, I am a social sure. worker. My work is is the two areas that I work the most in are related to suicide and the other uh, with trans and gender non-conforming youth and and young adults. You know, so so I I do this very personal work with people and appreciate that that privilege. Um, and and so I'm I'm listening to little things that you're saying about your life. Um, your experiences, substance abuse, health crises, you know, eating disorder, the diagnosis of obsessive compulsive disorder, and and I'm I'm highlighting those intentionally because I think there are people who who need to know this guy has come through all of that, and all of that is part of who he is, and he has these goals of benefiting other people by the teaching and, and sharing and, and nurturing of, of poetry, of expression of that kind. I mean, that to me is awesome. I mean, it's like that, that, that transition that you are going through is so impressive. And so that means to other people, maybe there's something that they've wanted to do, they can do too, you know? Absolutely. And if I can impart any words of advice to somebody listening who is struggling with the things that I've struggled through or, or 
similar, you know. Um, I'd have to kind of evoke a cliche here when I say if I can do it, you can do it because I am on a daily basis a total nervous wreck and I have, I'm very critical of my work and I have very limited self-confidence, although that's getting better, right? And if I can continue to get up in the morning and continue to, to fight and to do these things, if it's write a book or if it's go to the store, because on many days that seems just as difficult. Um, it can be done. Um, uh-huh. For anybody struggling with something like that, at the end of every day, everything is still okay. You might feel that often um, your whole world is collapsing and given enough time and you start to kind of bounce back from any particular mood that's that's got you down, you realize that everything was okay all along. I don't want to say that it's that it's all in your head because although it may be in your head, it doesn't make it any less real. That mm-hmm. the, the, the physical pain caused by anxiety or by depression where you feel like you're handcuffed to the bed um, mm-hmm. is, is very real, but you're still, still okay. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is, is, nothing dire is actually happening to you. And when I began to understand that, I, think things started to, let's say, they started to get a, a bit easier um, mm-hmm. over time. I personally, and, and don't let me take away from anybody uh, who benefits from the use of medication, but I've personally never benefited from the use of medication. I've never taken it for anything that I've, that I've struggled with. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's been much more about willpower uh, and just determination. I want to be a writer more that I want to suffer, right? Because you become familiar um, with a sense of depression and, and, you, and, it, and it becomes like a second family. It, you, you become comfortable with it almost, right? And I wanted to go back to school more than I wanted to give up. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And that takes a lot, you know, and, and uh, I think the reality for people who are listening for, for me, for you is that there are going to be some rough patches and some batters. And for me, one of, one of the things I always encourage is to be aware of highlights in every single day, you know, to, to not paint a day as a terrible day or a week as a terrible week. You may have terrible moments. Exactly. Um, Right. But those moments pass. And the suffering is, is always temporary. I mean, existence is suffering, but it, you know what I mean? Is from a Buddhist perspective, I suppose. But when you're really in the animal soup, it passes. It always, always passes every time. Um, and you can, you can count on that. And, and then when it does, you get up and you try again. I, I really, I, I don't want to say something like resent, but I really am not comfortable with being, with considering myself to be a victim of something. I, I'm, mm-hmm much more happy to uh, uh, learn from it, mm-hmm. right? And to to twist it to my advantage, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you're, you're speaking from your experience, you know, and, and for you, your path is not the exact path for somebody else. You're not, you're not saying that, you know, but no, 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 this is, this is where you are, which is very impressive. It's what's worked for me. Yeah. yeah. And it's what's worked for me. I think sometimes um, I also I feel compelled to add sometimes there's a component of luck that that helps. <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we have the right person there at the right 
moment to, as in your case, you know, that this woman who's still your friend, who was the kick in the butt towards education. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you, you would not have started at that point. Um, she was, yeah, sure. She was kind of that, you know, maybe it would have been prolonged by another year before I, I went back or another two years or another five years or something. But I, I feel like I probably would have ended up in academia in some capacity uh-huh. either way. But I've had professors along the way. There's one in particular who I'd like to mention. Her name is Diana Valdina, and she's an English professor at um, at Peter Community College. And she was a very strict teacher, and she was no nonsense, but she was very, very approachable. And I met her about 10 years ago, and I'm so happy to say that today we're very close friends. Mm-hmm. And we go in and we vent to each other and those kind of things. But she never accepted failure and I would I would try I would try the excuses well you know I'm just so blah 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 today and she'd say give me a freaking break I'll see that paper on my desk at nine o'clock or I'm gonna freaking fail you I don't care if we're friends or not you know and she's just always expected more of me than maybe I expected of myself right mm-hmm. um those kind of I always responded well to mm-hmm. motivation like that I think cool. okay let's hear another one of your poems most of my poetry is very, uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to say serious, but it is rather serious. <laughs> but, uh, but I, as a, I, as a person, I'm a, I'm a total fruit loop. I'm, I'm a complete, I'm a complete think that. It, it, I just am. Um, so it's, it's, it's weird that my poetry is very serious. So I'm going to try to, this is, this is my, my in the book, this is personally my, my favorite one. So I'm going to read that. And this one is kind of a mix of both. And it's a stream of consciousness. Uh-huh. Um, so hopefully my mouth doesn't get too dried out while I'm reading it, but it's called, it's the epilogue to the, to the book. And it's called, here is how the first one ends. So anyway, here's how the first one ends. Before I construct another space in my mouth where I whisper unwritten lines of poetry, you should know I would have done so anyway. I would have filled your mouth like mine with rose water and sipped from it as if it were from your veins and every drop of sadness I would drink until I am filled from drinking your blood like a chocolate milkshake after we stop with your daughter at the first available drive through window. No, I've got this one. And mom keeps her and her daughter keeps her eyes open just enough on the dark night home. And then my own mother calls and I have to begin again. Okay, here is how the first one ends. With blankets on the floor and a swirl of pink princesses and her new best friend whose name is nervous about her first sleepover until yours will say here. You be this one and I'll be this one. When we went to the park and you were afraid of the monkey bars, but we helped you up until you flipped backward on your own. How proud we were, beaming in the sunlight rosted water fountain reflection like a hundred year snapshot found in the missing luggage of a fleeing European in 1939. Meanwhile, it snows outside, and your mom is making a warm cup of something for us in the dim kitchen right before bedtime. And I am, because you are, sitting with your hand on my leg next to the couch where you're where you watch your child grow into a pillow fight, into a concert dress, into a painful Friday when her boyfriend says not tonight or worse still, not any night again. And she cried alone in her locked room like we used to when sleep found us with our phones in our hands. How the next day your nose hurt from too much rubbing, but breakfast filled the house with half-remembered winter senses of our future on the kitchen stool and your mother asks, what's his name? Nothing, okay? And makes you laugh anyway, kissing you on the top of the head with her hand covered in diamonds and pancake batter. <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
And you said that's your favorite in the book, huh? It is my favorite. And it was the last one that I wrote for the book. Um, the Lummox Press was, was going to press. They were going to print um, on the, oh, when was it? It was December 26th. He was prepared to send the book to, to be printed. And I wrote this poem on Christmas Eve. Uh, and I edited it. Yeah, I edited it on Christmas Day. Uh-huh. And I said, wait, 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 wait. You know, I'm like running past the train. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> it's the Ginsu knife. Wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's very cool. How did you connect with that publisher? I think that's something else that's interesting. Who? Oh, I uh, that was when you were speaking of luck a little earlier. This is an instance of that. Uh-huh. Um, I know how difficult, I assure any of your listeners, I know how difficult it is to get published as a poet. Good freaking grace. But I did luck out. I was accepted um, by two. Um, well, let me let me tell you, I, I discovered Love Express through poetsandwriters.org, right? Um And that is a, da- a database for oh, hundreds, maybe thousands of small presses um, in the country and around the world, um, small and large presses. And I, I, I spam sent my manuscript out, although I was lucky in that I only sent about eight or ten copies of my manuscript out, and two of them agreed to publish it. Wow. Um, yeah, I got really lucky. Um, the one, one was Blue Light Press in, in uh, San Francisco, and they were a little too, I'll say, PC. Um, they wanted me to change a lot that I wasn't comfortable with changing, and Lumix Press was much more willing to let me say what I thought I needed to say. They were they gave me a lot more um, artistic control over my manuscript, which I really appreciated. So I, I went with them, and um, that was well. Let, let me think, because there's the Lumix Anthology, right? And I submitted to the Lumix Anthology. Um, a couple of poems, and then they wrote back in August of 2017 and said, we'll, we'll take this one. Um, and it was a poem called Kill the Billionaires, which I really like. Um, and they printed that in their in their anthology. I said, well, would you be interested in publishing the whole manuscript? And they said, uh, yes, but not right now. Write me in a couple months. So I got a hold of them in October, and then they, they did. They were, I, I got lucky. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. And they almost got me because, as it turns out, I don't know if you know this, but people don't like to be micromanaged. And I may have been doing that a little bit. So lesson learned. Okay. But I was so interested in how the publishing process worked that I said, uh-huh. oh, and how, and how thick are the pages? And what color are the numbers on the freaking corners of the pages? Uh-huh. You know, I'm driving, I'm driving them freaking crazy. So they said, all right, Icarus, calm down. You're going to burn yourself here. So I, I did. I zipped my lip and sat back and let them do what they do best. And they did it very, very well. And I couldn't be happier with, with the quality of the book and how it turned out. Cool. And I know that most people end up having different books published by different publishers, not always. And I cannot resist saying you might check out Night Ballet Press, which is... Night Ballet? Ballet, like the dance. Oh, ballet. Yeah, yeah. Ballet Press, the the person behind Night Ballet Press is poet Diane Borsenik. But you'll find Night Ballet Press. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because of my collection of poetry by people I've met and heard and 
it's a pretty extensive set of books that keeps growing. Um, Diane's books are physically beautiful in a different way than most of the other books that I have. Um, yeah. You might yeah, that's, that's important every, to me. Yeah, when you mentioned like the paper, you might you might check into her books. I realize that that each press has certain kinds of things uh, that appeal to them and who they might publish and how many um, books they can publish a year. So I'm not making any guarantees about anything, but but I would encourage you. Oh, to sure, sure, sure. At yeah. her at her uh, work because I was. I mean, I have lots of poetry books that I love for lots of different reasons, and and things from Night Ballet Press stand out to me, also in that aesthetic of how the books are created physically. So, there you go. Yeah, I just didn't know how any of of that worked, and uh -huh. I just thought it was really interesting, you know, how how the book is made from start to finish. Uh huh. And I was. Uh, I was a little pestering and trying to find yeah. all that out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can understand that, wanting to know. This is, your work is so personal. I mean, any poet's work, hopefully, is very personal. And you want it yeah. represented out in the world in a way that contributes to what the words are, not just any old printing, you know. So I, I get that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So you mentioned this Kill the Billionaires, and I, I wonder if by chance you have that around you. Sure. Yeah. Concerts and cafes, 
they chant in the desert and disperse to see the sleeping cities. It's time. Sadly, my father splits another log. The west is on fire. The pies begin to burn. As opened mouth housewives unmute the sounds of steel and broken bones. It's over. After the gas masks and bent metal, up will rise billionaires who keep you watching. Preposterous, draped in flags, where they are greeted by roars of thunderous applause. Wow. And I, and I think, to me, I think this is a time when art that does speak to what's going on in the world in, in that bigger sense is, is really important. And sometimes that is going to be life-saving in another way, that, that people need to hear, people need to think, people need encouragement to do the things they can do to make a difference when they see a lot of wrong in the world. And, and I think sometimes art fuels that. Um, it, it becomes a representation of that and, and helps people do, not just listen. So thank you. Thank you. And you mentioned that that's an Alumix Press anthology since there are, um, there is a series of those anthologies over time, which is the one that has Kill the Billionaires in it. It's their most recent. It's the 2000, let me look at it here. It's the 2017 Lum Express Anthology, yeah. All right, so that's good to know. And the version in that anthology might be slightly different than the one that I just read you, because like, that was accepted, and then when I went back and edited, I, I'm sure that I've changed some mm -hmm. things to that poem. That works, that works. Can't help it. <laughs> yeah. it's, well, but you also mentioned that you are aware of that, that point where it is done. For this time, it is done, and changing it again is not going to improve it. Now, right. There's a, I feel like you reach a certain point where if you change it again, you'll arguably worsen it. Yeah. When you were describing that the first time, I thought about, uh, I am a very beginning guitarist, and my tuner <laughs> that I clip on oh. the neck of my guitar, you know, and it's like I'm going for a certain spot for this. Spring. You want that green light. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yeah. if I do too much, it's not going to help. It's that's not where it needs to be. <laughs> that's a, yeah, good comparison, good analogy. <laughs> and people who don't have one of those little clip on guitar tuners, like, what the hell is she talking about? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I use my phone and now it's, it's infected with advertisements. Like when I use the guitar tuning app, it's right, uh -huh. I, I try to, I'm like, all right, I can get, I can get E, A, and D in before I'm, I'm told that I can get 15% off at Kohl's this weekend. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm racing against car insurance deals. Trying to tune my guitars. Right? So guitar, violin, poetry, are there other arts that you're immersed in? Well, there's other instruments, I guess. I, I, uh -huh. I, I play the, the piano fairly well. Um, uh -huh. I suppose that's okay. So there's one more instrument that I'm okay. okay. Um, and other arts, I don't know. I have a, a real big fascination um, with literature. Um, uh -huh. Nay, actually, oddly enough, I have, a, I have a fascination with Russian literature. I, I love um, Tolstoy and Nabokov and uh, Dostoevsky and, and those guys. And then I also have a, um, a real big interest in language. I'm trying to uh -huh. 
butcher my way through learning French and German, um, which is coming coming along. But if I don't if I don't end up teaching poetry, um, spoiler, I will. Then I, I would like to work in editing or uh, something in linguistics or, uh-huh. or translations or something like that, or uh-huh. uh, English as a second language or or something. I I really love the power of language. I I find that um, the more more articulate one is the more command that one has over their language the more dangerous they are um i mean you can you can really you are you're a deadly weapon man you can you can change the world with with language yeah. the, the more you can articulate yourself the, the more uh the more of a force you are to be reckoned with yeah that's true mm. and the ways that we have to access other people with our words continues those those ways continue to grow just complicated complicated yeah. complicated when we're looking at our current times and i'm not going to go there any more than that okay back to okay, you sure. so as we are winding into the last couple minutes of this i want to make sure people know that this conversation is with alex johnston and you have a new book your first in print as a full book of your poetry on fire and roses. And that is available through Lummox press. And in the area where you are in New York, are you also somebody who people will find at readings? Yes. Yes, sure. I mean, yeah, like I, I'm in the upstate New York uh, area. I, I live in a city called Auburn, New York. I don't think that we ended up saying the city I, I do live in, which is Auburn, New York. Um, and I'll mail you a copy if you get a hold of me on Facebook. So there you have it. And so, are the are the um, is there are there reading series that are happening in Auburn? Are you doing a book tour? There's, what kind of things do? Are, what kind of opportunities are there for people to hear you in person? I'm going to do a reading. Um, it's, it's something of a reception at, at Peter Community College, um, where I where I attended school, um, and that will be a reading and a book signing and whatnot. And then I I'm friends with a woman named Heidi Nightingale, who is a professor at uh, Empire State College, and she really has her 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 claws dug into the literary scene of the upstate. I shouldn't say claws. What a terrible connotation that draws up. But uh, <laughs> she, she's really dug into the to the upstate New York uh, literary scene. And she's kind of uh, guiding, you know, holding my hand through through different aspects of how to of how to get out there, how to market poetry, which is actually a very difficult right. thing to do. Um, well, so I, I'll, I'll continue to update Lum Express and I'll continue to update uh, social media and Facebook and, and, and whatnot with uh, any upcoming events that I might have. Well, how do people find you in social media? I didn't find you. Oh, um, I'm Alex Johnston on Facebook, and I'm very, I'm, I'm just uh, incredibly handsome, so that would be your tell. But uh, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm not kidding, but there you have it. Uh, so I'm only, I'm really only on Facebook. Um, and then, yeah, you could just, you just type my name. It says uh, Alex Johnston, Empire State College. I think it even says writer under occupation. Um, I've got some different Alex Johnston that I didn't want to look at. <laughs> I mean, not really? because of the look, but it was clearly not. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm being, I'm being smart uh, my profile picture is me wearing glasses with, with short hair and a, and a black V-neck. Okay, well, I'll look again. Yeah. So people can find you on Facebook, and I assume that when you are conducting readings, that that will be on that page. Yes? 
Yes, yes. Well, yes, I'll update page. it. I'll update it on that page, and then I'll cool. keep I'll keep Lummox Press uh, updated as well. So just the, the Lummox Press uh, website would have any information like that too. Okay, so your page on Lummox will have events coming up or new books. But they won't yes. have new books if they're not new books by Lummox, would be my assumption. <laughs> that's, that's correct. I'd be happy to work with Lummox again. Um, but the woman that I mentioned, Heidi Nightingale, uh-huh. also operates a small press. Um, and I can't think of the name of it. Oh, man. Um, I can't think of the name of it. But when I do, I'll, I'll call you back personally, and then you can tell everybody. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, I think this has been a delightful conversation. I have obviously had fun. I hope our listeners have had fun. I hope you've had fun. And I hope people... Oh, I had a blast. All right. And I hope people go out yeah. and look for On Fire and Roses. Thanks and so about- much for having me on. You are welcome. It's, it's, yeah. it's a delight. And I want to thank Daniel Smith, who produces the show, because he's the one who uh, lets people hear. You know, it's kind of like it's fun for us, but it's only fun for other people when Daniel has done his job, too. So thank you, Daniel Smith. And thank you, listeners. Uh, it's, it's always a joy and a privilege to do talk with me and this Time has been no exception. So, so long, listeners. I hope you will be listening again. Bye.